Welcome to the third season of the For Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wilcoxon, and one of the lay elders here at Redemption Church Gateway. This season, we're going to talk about work, careers, taking our faith into the marketplace, and some practical advice. This episode is about corporate leadership. The global pandemic and recent developments within the workplace has been difficult for everyone, including senior leaders within companies of all sizes. In a recent study, the top challenges leaders are navigating include remote employee engagement, not surprising, sustaining, sustaining sales, creating a safe work environment, managing finances in a shifting, envir- in shifting environment, and team cohesion. With so much uncertainty, leaders are having to make decisions without not a lot of history or precedence to pull from. Today, we are going to talk to two senior leaders with from two unrelated industries. I'm excited today to be talking to Dusty Anderson and Bruce Gilmore. Thank you both for your time today. Thanks, Jeffrey. Appreciate having us here. Yeah, excited for this. Thank you, Jeffrey. Oh, you're very welcome. All right, bit of, bit of background. We're going to start with you, Bruce. Uh, tell us a little bit about your family. Uh, where do you work and how long have you been attending Redemption Church Gateway? You bet. So the Gilmores, Julie is my beautiful bride, and we've been married for 38 years. And we have three great kids, all adults on their own. We're enjoying the empty nester phase of life. So uh, the kids are all still located here in the Valley, uh, have graduated all sun devils, go devils, <laughs> and uh, uh, enjoying life. Our younger uh, son, Corey, just got married in April. So we have another Gilmore girl in the family, So, uh, <laughs> which nice. is great. Uh, I work for Mayo Clinic. Uh, I've been at Mayo going on four years now. And uh, prior to that, I uh, was full-time professor at ASU for a couple of years. And then uh, prior to that, I worked in the semiconductor industry for Intel Corporation for 26 years. Great. And as far as being here, we've been here since the beginning, since second mile days. So we started out at uh, the ballroom at the ASU Polytech campus uh, in the uh, Memorial Union building there. So it's been a, a wonderful time. Fun times. Dusty? First of all, there's a lot of ASU in that Gilmore family I, I see there. Um, yeah, so uh, Dusty or Dustin Anderson um, family. Um, Quinn Anderson is my wife. Um, many people know her from a chance to go down to Mexico for Juarez, uh, the ministry that Redemption supports. Uh, Quinn is a wonderful, wonderful wife. Uh, three kids and uh, two kids uh, by marriage now that we've got, uh, one of them being yours, Jeffrey, uh, Sean, a uh, wonderful son-in-law. Uh, and we recently became grandparents. Ooh, uh, yeah. Bailey and Sarah just had their first uh, kid. Uh, so Beck Elijah Anderson was born a little over a month ago. So uh, pretty cool. I know they're old enough to be parents. I'm not sure I'm old enough to be a grandparent, but uh, <laughs> that, that's that's something different. Um yeah, and from a work perspective, uh, so I work for a company called Software One, based in Switzerland, uh, very global uh, international software company, and have uh, team members in, in 20 countries around the world. Uh, so it's a really different environment uh, from that perspective, uh, but really uh, rewarding as well. And then we've been going to Gateway for, I'm thinking that it's about eight years now. Uh, we're probably about to that mark this summer. So uh, eight years, and, and boy, we couldn't be happier. Oh, that's great. That's great. Let's Bruce, let's start with you. Um, so you're currently at Mayo Clinic and you talked about supply chain. Well, what's the, the official role? 
So I'm my official role is I'm the regional director of supply chain for Mayo Clinic for the Southwest region. So this won't be hard, but imagine that I'm five and I don't understand what supply chain management <laughs> actually means. Break well, it down for me. What exactly is that? So everything you eat, you wear, you live in, you drive, you fly in, comes to you through a supply chain. So from raw materials to finished products and to the consumer uh, or the end user of the product. So everything in between from I recognize I have a need for something to when my need is fulfilled. Everything from purchasing, logistics, uh, accounts payable, uh, you name it. You know, so today it's uh, making sure that uh, the hospital, the clinics at Mayo Clinic have the supplies that they need to care for patients. Mm. And just a, like a real world example, when the, the, the blockage the, or the big tanker that got blocked or uh, stuck in the Suez, that, that messes with supply chain. Yeah. In, in that case, it uh, was around the globe. I mean, uh, wow. you know, not only are we having troubles uh, at the ports in the U.S. and backlogs, uh, but that you would think, oh, it's one canal. Well, it's a major canal and it's a major bridge between um, parts of the world. So it affected the United States in a pretty significant way too. Mm. And then how long have you been in kind of supply chain management uh, kind of industry or work? Yeah, that's yeah, a great question. Uh, I think I'm going 32, 33 years now. So yeah. it's uh, been a, it, you know, fell into it and uh, it's, I'm a supply chain geek. Uh, I'm a common sense person. It makes perfect sense to me. And, uh, so it, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's one reason is just constant problem solving. It's a puzzle. You have to put puzzles Ooh. together all the time, uh, to, you know, come out with the finished result, whether it be a product or a service or equipment, whatever it might be. So you said you fell into it. Like how do, how does somebody fall into supply chain management? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, when I was at ASU, I was, uh, after I got, I was in the military, I got out of the service and went to college after the air force. And I uh, was working for Sears and Roebuck, uh, in, if anybody remembers that store. And I was, they'd put me in their management training program. So I thought, oh, great, I'm going to be a manager in retail. So in retail, you go get a marketing degree and, and that's what you do. And until uh, I found out, A, how little retail managers were paid, B, <laughs> how many hours they worked, <laughs> C, they never had holidays with their families. Um, it, it was, it just, didn't blend with me. So I'm at ASU. I'm, you know, in my junior year going, okay, now what are you going to do? In those days we had physical course catalogs. You know, we were talking earlier about digital and you know, these were physical. You actually had printed on paper and whoever wrote the description for um, what has now called supply chain management at ASU did a great job. And it just grabbed my attention. I'm reading these paragraphs in this course catalog going, this is me. And literally that was it. It was like, oh, okay, wow. I'm, this is me. It makes sense. I, I can visually see it. I'm a tactile person. And from there on, they went, went on and on. Oh, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so Dusty, you're, you're in uh, software, but it's a very a specific type of software for a specific type of industry. So tell us a little bit more about the company, but also just kind of the industry as a whole. Yeah, Jeffrey, no, it, it is. So um, obviously software touches us in so many different ways, just like procurement um, that Bruce was talking about. Uh, from our perspective, 
Uh, we focus on what's called the architectural engineering and construction uh, vertical, um, primarily contractors. Uh, and we provide software that helps them um, execute against projects. And so, you know, a great example, first of all, I love your question, you know, to Bruce about if I was a five-year-old, you know, how do I describe what this means? And so because we all know this church and this building and it was recently constructed, I can kind of give a little example of that. Oh, right? great. So, um, you know, you look at uh, DeBartolo and what they did from an architectural standpoint, right? They're designing this facility and this building and this layout. And typically that's done um, with, with leading architects. They do it in a three-dimensional um, computer-aided design, right? So it's a three-dimensional product. Well, we can actually take that uh, initial design and then through engineering, we can actually work to help the contractors understand what the cost would be to build it and then execute against the project as they're building it. So are we up to schedule? Are we up to cost, et cetera? And then ultimately, when it turns over to the facility side, we can actually still manage it through that three-dimensional computer model, right? So you can look at a room like this one and say, hey, is there an air conditioning unit in this room? It looks like it's running faulty. What's the serial number on it, et cetera? So um, that's what we do is we kind of help construction projects from you know their very, very beginning, You know, after an architect has designed it, through building and construction and ultimately life cycle management of the facility. Wow. And, and did you fall into software as a well, service or software, construction software? Yeah, so it's a fun story. Uh, my father was actually kind of one of the beginning uh, people in this industry. So, you know, construction account, or excuse me, accounting systems had, had existed from a technology perspective, a software perspective. Um, but he was one of the original um, salespeople for a company called Timberline, which was up in the Pacific Northwest. And they sold construction accounting software to contractors. Um, and he did this uh, back in 77 to 82. Uh, and I actually ultimately ended up working for the company that, that he you know, worked for at the time. But so the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, you know, construction technology is kind of in the family blood. And, and you have a child that's also now working for a construction company. Yes, my, we do. My daughter-in-law. That's exactly right. She works for Sunt Construction. Yeah. Shout out to Sunt. A great local <laughs> company that uh, does a lot of work throughout uh, the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what probably gets you excited? I mean, I could tell as soon as you start talking about it, you kind of lit up, both of you kind of lit up. So, I mean, tell me when, you know, when you're at a, a dinner party or you're in the lobby at the church and someone's like, Oh, Hey Dusty, what do you do? And, and you obviously explain it, but like, uh, you know, kind of what, what drives it or makes kind of that fire in your belly about this industry? Yeah, and I think because I've served the industry for so long, you know, from a technology perspective, but I do consider myself kind of a, a construction guy. And, you know, construction has lacked a lot of productivity gains and, and things that we've seen in other industries. I mean, the way that procurement uses technology, et cetera, from Bruce's side is they've done that for quite a while, right? They've leveraged it to manage logistics and different things. Construction hasn't always been able to do that. Part of it is because job sites are remote and there's not connectivity and those things. But we're really at a place now, Jeffrey, where I think construction can benefit from technology. We can really change this industry. Mm. Um, we can make it more efficient, more productive, produce less waste, ultimately, you know, affecting sustainability and the environment. Uh, so that's part of what gets me really excited. Yeah, that's great. And this is a great marriage between your product and supply chain because a lot of waste in construction is overbuying and you know what's left over at the end of the project this is timing synchronizing between the suppliers the project so things are arriving on time they're not being damaged sitting out in the rain or the sun those types of things so it really becomes a, a symbiotic marriage between mm. software and it's, the physical. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it's waste and then downtime where people are waiting for materials to arrive is the other side of, of that absolutely. equation. So, absolutely. Yeah. 
So you're both senior leaders within your company. Um, what have been some of the challenges over this past year and a half as you think about um, the workplace, um, building teams, um, being productive, conducting just your day-to-day work, uh, <laughs> communications? There's a lot, a lot of challenges I'm sure both of you had to face with uh, with the current pandemic and hopefully the light of the end of the tunnel. But this past year and a half, what's it been like in terms of as a leader? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, you know, I, I left the semiconductor industry. It was an it was an intense career, uh, but it was like, okay, I want to get off the road. I want to stop traveling all over the planet and working lots of hours. Um, healthcare that'd be a good place, you know, less stressful. And, oh yeah, you know, sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then February of 2020 comes, and we all realize, oh my gosh, this is coming. And and uh, you know, we went into it was very familiar territory. I, I lived in task force mode for a lot of my career at Intel. So it was very familiar territory pulling out some of the old playbooks and things. But uh, I think it was just very frustrating. And one of the reasons I went into healthcare was it's a mission-based career field. Mm. I can really connect that, you know, what we do contributes directly to the care of the patient. And knowing that we were, you know, we had to keep our staff safe. Uh, We had to keep our patients safe. We had to, you know, and it was every day was learning something new. It was literally task force mode seven days a week. And it was so new. No, you know, the medical professionals didn't know what to do or how to handle it necessarily. They had their playbooks on how to deal with uh, a disease and other things, but this was uh, so new. It was every day was learning something new about the disease and how to treat patients and how to uh, care for them. So it was, uh, it was intense. So one of the learnings would be in flexibility. Like you just didn't know what you're going to face. Yeah, each yeah day, each absolutely. Week. Flexibility. So you're, you're doing a lot of, uh, you know, touch base meetings with your team, pulling people together, real time communication, uh, intensive communication with suppliers. Um, there, there were so many people that wanted to help. Um, it was a distraction. Um, you know, it's kind of like things that, you know, and then this whole community of brokers showed up as like people wanted to profit from selling masks or those types of things. And it uh, just really became a huge distraction yeah. uh, to try to, to get the materials we needed to care for the patients. So it was mm. a fascinating time for sure. Mm. And then afterwards it's, you know, everybody you know, a lot of people working from home and, and learning how to work in this now virtual environment is, uh, has been different. Thankfully, my whole team is uh, on the ground in the office area. So we've, uh, we've enjoyed being together through the whole thing, but our colleagues around the company are, are all remote and then travel. I got to travel two weeks ago to, uh, to Minnesota for the first time in 18 months. And it was seeing colleagues face to face was amazing, but it was, I had to meet them over breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> you know, it was it was kind of strange because they have no offices anymore. Oh wow! And yeah. uh, I think I gained three pounds. You know, so oh. I was <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. See, what about you? Over the past year and a half challenges. Yeah. Well, you know, Bruce is clearly at, at the front line in terms of a lot of you know helping make sure that uh, patient care was there and those things. For us, it was more the latter part of what he was talking about, and that move to work from home. You know, fortunately, we were able to you know, technology company. Um, but we had to take things like customer support and all those things that, you know, you think of uh, telephone systems and how they're routed and all that. And we all of a sudden had to make sure that we could still support customers. That was probably the biggest thing. The first thought was, how do we make sure that we can ensure some level of customer support? 
that was you know up to par with what they should be expecting. Fortunately, a lot of our customers were also in some sort of uh, how do we work from home. So I think that the demand on our support was a little bit less for that week while we were also figuring it out. Um, but you know, you, you really got to applaud our IT professionals and the people that, that put people in a position to succeed at home with work from home equipment that we hadn't done before. Uh, and then, you know, you transition into, all right, what kind of revenue are we actually going to drive in this, you know, next three months, six months, we didn't know what it was. And so for us, we were constantly reforecasting Jeffrey, what, you know, we projected revenues to be. And, and that was a difficult thing, you know, and, and being a publicly traded company, we have to make sure that, you know, what we're stating that we think we're going to achieve, we actually achieve. So uh, that was a, a stretch for sure in terms of figuring that out. It felt like we had our day job and then we had our, our COVID task force job of, of trying to figure out how to make it all work. Uh, but the other thing was just caring for employees that were also going through this. And we had some great individual leaders and uh, that started virtual happy hours or they, I mean, they use technology for these remote game sessions. You know, yeah, uh, I can't even think of what, what some of them were, but it's, it's kind of like taking board games to a computer where people can play virtually. And, and that really helped draw people together. And so it was neat to see people get creative in these environments uh, and, and use technology to, to help bring people closer. Mm. Well, I, I'm assuming both of you being leaders, a lot of it is also working with the people who directly report to you, mentoring them, shepherding them, encouraging them. But with the pandemic, that dynamic changed. Even if you were working somewhat remote, there was just another layer of, of stress and tension. Like, So what did you learn as a leader in terms of working with people that were reporting to you and how did you kind of keep them going and encourage them or, or what were some of the things that you maybe would not have done in a normal time, but had to make concessions because this is a very different you know environment that we have to lead through. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump at that first. You know, I'll tell you the thing that hit me is that I myself was exhausted. Um, and so this transition, you know, we use a product called Microsoft teams, but everyone else kind of calls it zoom or whatever, but these, you know, having a camera on your face, eight to 10 hours a day. And I was just in meetings eight to 10 hours a day was exhausting myself. And so trying to figure out that balance of, you know, how do I still find energy to be there for, you know, other people and, and team members that need coaching and that need to just talk. Um, and so that was, that was really tiring to be honest. I mean, and, and there was a, a couple of studies that came out about two or three months into this that was talking about, uh, that we were only using a couple of our senses. We're using audio and visual, you know, on these video calls, but we don't have, you know, the, the slap on the shoulder when you walk into the room, the smell of a cup of coffee, our other senses weren't being utilized. And so you started to feel like, okay, I'm not crazy for being this tired by just <laughs> sitting on my desk and looking at a computer monitor. But um, so, you know, it's kind of a little bit of self-care in terms of making sure that, you know, I had some energy and time. I had to just leave my desk, right? And I'd go work in the yard or do those types of things to make sure that I was kind of rebooting. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it was just being intentional about finding time, you know, for the, the people that, that needed it. Um, and then making sure that the employees felt like their jobs were secure. That was another thing. Um, I worked for a company that was incredible about, um, Hey, we're not going to lay anyone off. Um, and so that immediately gave people just this comfort that deep breath, roll up our sleeves and let's do our best. And also, I think really enabled people to want to do their best for the company because they felt like the company really cared for them. Oh, that's huge. Bruce, how, how did uh, managing people and, 
and re- the relationships? How was it different and how did you kind of navigate it? Yeah, great, great questions. And I think uh, a lot of the same thing with Dusty. I think it was you a weariness and it's still going on today. And, in, and unfortunately it's coming around again with this, uh, this latest surge mm-hmm. and, and in healthcare people are, are tired and it's, you know, stealing themselves to get back into it again. It's, it's, uh, it's, it is definitely wearying, but you know, similar to your firm, Mayo made a very clear commitment that they were not going to lay off a single individual. Now they did reduce pay in some cases, they furloughed some people, um, with the guarantee that they would come back to a job just because it was so uncertain of what was going to happen. Um, I mean, some of the predictions were pretty dire of, of what, uh, the, the revenue of the, the, the enterprise would be and so on and so forth. So that was uh, up front, but you know, also they quickly came back from that when it was clear that the, the practice was going to return and, and actually all of that was returned to the employees, which was uh, pretty powerful. Um, so that, I thought the company did a phenomenal job in that. But what we did as a, a leadership team on my organization was reprioritize work, um, really kind of go through and say what's critical um, because we were being impacted by people being out quarantined, people being sick uh, and so on. So we had to adjust with that uh, while actually our volumes were, you know, as from a supply perspective, were much higher. We were bringing in a lot of safety stock, there was a lot of alternatives coming in. It was very complex uh, and really tr- uh, strained a system that was not built for a pandemic, essentially. Mm. You know, it's, it was built for a sustaining model that uh, that you go on. So a lot of reprioritization, uh, you know, talking to people a lot, you know, also just trying to be aware that where they are in their family, their, you know, there's issues at home. Uh, because they're maybe their spouse is laid off, maybe mm. uh, maybe they um, have illness in their family. So it's just kind of just trying to stay a lot closer to people and being aware and caring. Um, but to your point, Dusty, is try to care for yourself. I mean, there there are days where you know when you're in person meetings, you have walk time between your meetings, right? And you maybe can go to the bathroom. What a concept! And you can have that quick hallway conversation, or you can. Um, you know, pat someone on the back or shake their hand or, or whatever it, that for a long period of time was gone. And I felt humanly isolated from people, mm. you know, not only are we wearing a mask we're but we're physically, I can't shout, I can't shake your hand any longer. I can't, you know, touch you any longer. Um, and it's, it was just kind of a surreal experience. So yeah, you know, that was uh, good when that kind of started coming back again. It's like, yay, I can hug someone. That's great. <laughs> yeah. And I'd add one other piece to it is this constant availability. Um, so oh, it used yeah. to be that you would, oh, yeah. if you went down to a, to a boardroom or a office, you know, a um, meeting room, I didn't bring my computer to every meeting. And so you'd walk into the meeting. Well, people couldn't reach you. They couldn't instant message you while yep. you're in a meeting. So you had time where you were focused, where you were solving the problem at hand and now you're in a meeting and you've got your email dinging, you've got your instant messages coming at you, and it just becomes this uh, constant availability. People have access to you at all times. And there wasn't time to think, to be proactive as a leader in terms of saying, hey, where are our issues? Where and who are the people that, that need help? Uh, those types of things. So, mm. Well, you know, most leaders have kind of a their leadership style. Was there something that you had to either change or something you really had to push into in terms of your specific leadership style that was helpful over this past year and a half. Yeah, I think it, for me, it was just leaning more into people and listening longer. 
Um, you know, I, I love the people that I work with and that are in my organization, but it's going that, that next degree of, of caring for them. And that's not always easy. Cause like, Oh, we got the task at hand and it's task focused, task oriented, objectives oriented. Oh shoot. I forgot to ask you about how you're doing. <laughs> so, you know, it's just making that a conscious first thing to talk about. And even in the zoom meetings, it's like, Hey, let's just have some chat at the first of the meeting some jokes and you know what's going on in life and things like that instead of just um bam right in task number one let's talk about it task number two let's talk about it and so trying to have a little personal time um to get to enjoy people yeah yeah you know i I would say one thing that uh it doesn't answer your question but just came to mind is that uh, i got to see into employees lives in a way that our colleagues lives that i didn't i mean i can't tell you how many you know three to five to six to eight year olds i know because they came <laughs> in and they peeked over their mom or dad's shoulder into the meetings and so i'd be able to say hi gia how are you you know and, and that actually brought some levity and i think that's that personal piece that that jeff i mean excuse me that uh that we were talking about a minute ago but the the other thing that tangible uh, thing that we we did was uh, we looked at meetings and how they were scheduled. I mean, this kind of seems pretty um, simple or tactile, but um, we started meetings at five minute past, you know, and so instead of starting a meeting at 10 a.m., it started at 10.05 because what inevitably happened is your nine o'clock to 10 o'clock meeting runs right up to it or even over and then you're late and everyone's like, hey, sorry, I got to drop. I got to get to another meeting. You don't have time to even recap the previous meeting to think through action items you may have. You don't have a chance to use the restroom. You don't have a chance to refill your water or your coffee. And so we started meetings at, at five past or even 10 past, depending on you know how long they went um, or what they were scheduled for. And there were just simple things like that. And then we tried to implement a no meeting Wednesday where you could not have meetings on Wednesdays. What I found was um, I still had meetings on Wednesdays, but it was, it was far less, right? So we'd mm. only have you know a couple hours of meetings here and there, or it was an opportunity to schedule something in. Um, so there were some creative scheduling things, Jeffrey, that we did that are, you know, pretty tactile, but they, they really benefited people. They, you could see people take a deep breath, like this makes sense. Oh, oh, that's great. Um, let's talk about taking your faith into the marketplace. So, um, how, how have you been able to either be a witness to Christ or to live out, um, you know, kind of God's mandate for us within work or within life? within your, your faith, um, within the workplace? Like do most of your employees or colleagues know that you're believers? So kind of just dive into kind of how, uh, what's it been like for you to be a, a believer at, at work? Yeah, for me, it's just a normal part of the conversation, right? It's, it's who I am and my faith is blended into what I do. So it's, I just try to bring it into the conversation. People understand who I am. And I, I noticed this when um, being new at, uh, into Mayo Clinic and starting out with my organization, it's, you know, I just give that as part of my introduction. You know, this mm-hmm. is who I am. Um, you know, I'm a Christian. I, you know, very involved in our church and, and uh, so on. So it, it just kind of puts that out there so people understand, okay, there's a, a faith background here. And people are very accepting of that. Um, I did the same thing when I was teaching uh, full-time at ASU. When I did my introduction in every class, uh, I was that was part of my introduction. It created for some really great conversations one-on-one with students too. Oh, that's great. Um, so it, it opens that and it also gives permission to people to come to you for, uh, you know, uh, 
a different level of conversation than maybe counseling or, or, you know, whatever. Uh, it's fun to pray with employees when they ask for it. Mm. Um, so it's a, you know, it, it's out there. I don't proselytize. I don't, you know, I don't go out there and push it on people. That's not, uh, that would be incorrect and improper. It's just it, hopefully evident in the way that I work and, and uh, deal with others. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you know, for me is it's never shy away from it, obviously. Um, and even, you know, to simple little things like, yeah, church on Sunday, you know, just little drops like that, that help people, you know, remember and such who you are. But I think a lot of it is just how you act on a daily basis, how you treat people. Um, and it shines through ultimately. Um, and so that, that would be the biggest piece. You know, one of the things that was different for me is that, you know, I, I traveled all the time, right? So I'm used to being on the road nearly every week. Um, and that often meant that I was in person with people. And so, you know, kind of like Bruce was saying that you've got that, you know, the water cooler time we call it or whatever, you got different opportunities to talk to people in different ways. But then I think that the pandemic also enabled us to talk um, in a different fashion about, you know, hey, why aren't you afraid of this? Or why aren't you scared of this? And well, it's because ultimately I, you know, know where my fate um, lies and that's with Jesus, right? So uh, I think that there was an opportunity to have some unique conversations that people saw, you know, my faith come through. Uh, but it's it's mostly just lived in how you treat people um, is, is, I, is what I would say. Hmm. Have any of you ever experienced any persecution or being kind of slighted at, uh, within the workplace at people knowing that you're a believer? And how'd you navigate that if you were? Yeah, thankfully not. I mean, when I be, first became a believer, I was the, the group that I was hanging out with, you know, <laughs> those friendships uh, dissolved because the motivation for the friendship was, you know, not healthy and and uh, my, my priorities completely changed. Uh, I wouldn't call that persecution. I would just call it, you know, well, I'm going a very different direction. I, I've personally never felt persecution. Um yeah, which is a real blessing. So I think we, you know, that may be in our future. Uh, but uh, right now it's, uh, I've never had that uh, in my experience. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't think necessarily from a pure faith perspective, I think being um, known as a conservative, um, especially during the political season, uh, you know, there was, there was times <laughs> where uh, that was more challenging and, and even people, you know, could get frustrated. And so, you know, I, I largely, try to avoid those things from a business perspective. I think there's a place for business and there's a place for other conversations. So if people invite them, that's fine, but I'm um, not truly from a religious persecution uh, perspective. Uh, thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah. How does your faith in Christ um, shape the way that you look at your, your work day or your role? To be honest, that it, there are times where I feel like I, I probably don't allow it to shape my workday as much as it should. Jeffrey, if I were just, mm -hmm. you know, to say, on, yeah. be honest about yeah. that. And some of it is, you know, the structure of, you know, because I work in a global role, I could start at five or six in the morning. I could end at one o'clock at night. You know I mean? It just, and so finding time to, to create habits is not always, um, you know, there's not a consistent, Hey, I'm going to get up. I'm going to do my devotions. I'm going to set my day. And so trying to find time for that has been, um, the routine of it. I don't think I've always been great at it uh, to think through each and every individual day. I remember Luke uh, Simmons, gosh, this was probably five or six years ago. And, and one of the things he said it from his sermon was that 
God is at your game. And the analogy he gave was, you know, like his, his mom and dad were at every one of his little league games, his high school games. Like they never missed a game. His, you know, his parents were always there. And, you know, what he was talking about in that sermon was that God is at your game. Every single day, he's sitting there in the stands cheering you on. He's there. And so that's a little piece that I try to hold on to is Mm -hmm. to, you know, as I get through the day that no matter what I'm going through, like, all right, God's at my game today. If it's a big meeting, if it's a boring meeting, if it's something, you know, I mean, whatever it is that God's always there. And so that, that probably shapes uh, a lot of when I'm in a positive place about what's going on and and trying to lead through faith that that's there. Mm -hmm. That's great. Bruce? Yeah, Dusty, that's great. I, I I would agree with that. A lot of what you said resonates with me. Um, I call it the tyranny of the urgent, right? So the day begins, and you're not you you're not taking, um, you're you're forgetting that God is at your game, right? And He's there with you. Uh, I I'll think about the days where, or the times where I've really, um, included God, and that sounds terrible, but you know, uh, really embraced Him whether it be at the beginning of the day, praying for my workday, praying for all my meetings, even the tedious things and in, in the, you know, the mundane things in the day. Um, and the times that I've remembered to be gracious to God when mm-hmm. uh, maybe a proposal is accepted and I, and I got a win, right? Well, praise to God that for that win and, and just remembering to be gracious, to have gratitude in, in that because he is Lord over all of that. And we forget, and um, but it, it it is just a sweet moment when uh, when I know that I'm going into a situation that's uh, there's conflict or there's tension. Take time to pray. Take time to really meditate on God. Calm myself uh, through that. Um, and it were you know think it's not like it's a magic deal. It's just like just knowing that uh, I'm entering into that conflict as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus. Well, as a leader, I mean, you're, you're, a lot of it is, is conflict resolution, sure. whether it's a strategic decision or a hire or fire Absolutely. or some type of, you know, decision around marketing, whatever. Um, I'm in, you know, as believers, we're, we're called to have grace because grace has been extended to us from God. So how is grace or just having, um, that mindset affected the way that you've handled conflict? Yeah, you know, I think that we are called to grace, but we're also called to excellence. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a, a really healthy balance there, Jeffrey, that has to be struck. Mm. Um, and so, you know, be graceful with the individual and, and understanding of, you know, them. But there's still an accountability and an excellence that's required of us. Um, and so I think that there's, there's a, I know fairness isn't always the, the you know, a, an acceptable word these days, but I think there's a fairness to saying, hey, you know, this is what the expectations are and these are, you know, what we should be accomplishing as colleagues, as individuals. Um, but understanding that the grace component comes into it uh, from outside circumstances and what else, you know, is bearing into these things and, and just being kind in, in how we, um, we do things. I really believe in leadership through empowerment. Uh, you know, I, I really just want to solve problems for people, get those out of the way so that they can make the decisions and they can solve the client need <clears throat> or the customer need or whatever it may be. So um, I think grace is sh- shown through that empowerment is just, mm. we trust you, right? Yeah, yeah. Bruce, I mean, do you feel like you're navigating a lot of conflict resolution through your role? Like I said, supply chain or any other leadership role is a lot of problem solving, right? So that is natural conflict and Mm. it's not bad conflict. It's just 
it's tension. It's, it's good stress, right? So I've got to solve these problems. So that's absolutely right. And, and uh, I like very much share your leadership style, Dusty, in that I want people to, I want to give them the resources. I want to give them the guide rails um, and then let them invent and create. And it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, but that there are those times, right? So the, as a manager, as a leader one of the hardest things we do is we have to, to tell people that are no longer going to be a part of the team, right? We're going to yeah. terminate them or fire them. And mm. uh, I had an experience that uh, really impacted me because it's one of the hardest things to do as a, as a manager is to tell people that, you know, you're not going to be a part of the team anymore. And this, uh, this, uh, woman that I had to let go, uh, at the end, you know, we're walking out and saying goodbyes. And, and, uh, she just said, I just want to thank you so much for the way that you handled that. And, uh, I think it's the right thing. And, and, uh, I feel, I feel okay to go forward now. And mm-hmm. it was like, wow. Cause, many of those circumstances don't necessarily end that way. So, you know, and that, that was just, uh, you know, just a encouragement to me to go treat people um, well, treat them with grace. Mm, Yeah. One of the, (coughs) one of the things that I've seen over the past, it's, well, it's probably ramped up the last several years, but I've really started to see it probably about seven, eight years ago was the rise of other voices. So um, a lot of, corporations now have this diversity, equity, inclusion group or managers or VPs of this. So there's other voices that are definitely counter biblical or counter counter Christian that have more voice within the corporate kind of uh, environment. As a believer, there we're going to, there's going to be things you're invited to or not invited to, or that you yeah, everyone should be participating in this, but there's definitely a challenge to well, who we believe in and the, those other voices, those other lifestyles. And so as a, as a believer or as, or, and whether you're a leader or not within your organization, like how do you, any advice you would give in terms of navigating that? It's a good question and a hard question, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I always go back to what God has commanded us is to love others you know, as we love ourselves and, and, uh, first and foremost, first and foremost to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, um, that's how I look at, that's the lens that I look at this, whether it be, um, any time of any type of employee group, but what I've really done this year, and it's because it is very amplified, uh, whether it be at, at Mayo or other companies, right. And, and is to, learn to lean in, try to understand and try to love. Um, I, I may not share their belief. I may not share their, um, you know, whatever the, the boundaries or the, the characteristics are of, of their particular, um, social group or what have you. Um, but I can still love them mm. and I can work alongside them and I can, you know, be good, be a good colleague. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm a sinner, no different than any other sinner. Um, God looks at, you know, me through the blood of Jesus, thankfully, but I'm, I'm a sinner. So, yeah, yeah I, well said, well said, Bruce. I, I think first of all, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, are 
right. You know, we should um, be diverse and we should have equity of pay, you know, for similar roles and and we should include people. So I think that the the concept of it is so absolutely spot on and, and where we should, you know, be focused, right? I think that, you know, we've perhaps, you know, swung, uh, too far in terms of, um, the power that that's put behind that rather than, you know, looking at the, the goal and the desire of it, you know, I completely agree with, you know, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion and, and seek it. Right. So we, we have to do that, Jeffrey, we, we really need to make sure that we're, um, cause like Bruce said, um, ultimately it's about love, right? And heaven is diverse. <laughs> so, Praise God. Yes. So uh, I, I believe in, the, in the, the statement of diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's just how we go about it um, is the piece that we really need to be thoughtful for, thoughtful as um, believers and as leaders. Yeah, yeah. So I had, I had a colleague who uh, recently came on to the company or joined the company a couple of months ago, and they immediately said, you know, my pronouns are they there. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I haven't had a chance to, to meet that person. But then that person got assigned to my team and I'd probably taken advice from you, Bruce. Um, I just, I teamsed packs, uh, the person and said, hey, this is new to me. Like the whole pronoun thing. Like I, and I'm probably going to get it wrong. I'm probably going to say something that's on a call with a client or w- with an internal meeting and you know, I had, there's no disrespect, but, you know, help me understand kind of they there and what does that mean to you? And, and how can I best serve you as being part of the team? And it was a great conversation. They really gave me some, um, some advice kind of also allowed me to, they helped me kind of understand kind of their background and they were raised in a church. And then they made this decision that they were going to kind of transition and this kind of different designation for their their gender. So it, it, it was, it was a great conversation because it also allowed me to at least show, Hey, I care. I'm, I'm going to spend some time and reach out to you. Cause I think in the past I would have like just avoided that person <laughs> and said, that's going to be a tough conversation or really awkward or uncomfortable. Yeah. But just being embraced and say, Hey, I'm going to reach out. Cause once they got assigned to my team, I then was going to have to work with with that person. And I wanted to be able to help understand, but also kind of start to build that connection. But it, it still was really uncomfortable. Um, so have you, have you seen kind of the pronouns starting to be within your own organizations? People are kind of uh, announcing their pronouns. Yes. And I, I think it's, <clears throat> I think your approach is spot on because it is like, okay, help me understand, help educate me because this is not natural to me. Yeah. You know, I'll most likely call you by your first name all the time because that I can, you know, yeah. I, I can, I can deal with, yeah. but, uh, it gets very complex and yeah. otherwise. So it's very much a part of, of our corporate environment now. And, and, and Mayo is very restrictive on even like what you couldn't put on your email signature. Well, this is, you know, the personal mm. pronouns are now allowed on the, on the email signature. Um, so it's just, uh, I try to be curious, of, yeah. you know, and I try to, to be open and learning and say, like you, I think you hit it just right on. I'm not comfortable with this. I don't help me understand. So I think that's a great way to also learn more about people. And you learned a lot about this employee's story and their background that you may have taken and longer to do, but you know, guess yeah. what? That, that created a point of conversation. And I think that's yeah. great. I think it's an incredible way to show empathy um, uh, is 
it's show your faith is through empathy, excuse me, uh, and how you handle it. And Bruce, how you say that you handle these as well. I haven't had, um, as many, I, I certainly have had opportunities where, um, those things exist, but, uh, you guys both handled it really well. And I think that that shows your faith through empathy. Mm, thank you. All right. So people listening, let's say they're in their mid to late twenties, maybe early thirties. They got that maybe first or second job out of, out of ASU, hopefully, right. Or out of college. <laughs> and uh, I did go to the other so, university too, for my master's degree. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> you both been in your careers for a while. You've worked with lots of people. You've seen people succeed. You've seen see people fail or kind of um, make some bad decisions. So this is really kind of just the, about the advice. So if you had a chance to sit down with somebody and have some coffee, who is kind of at the beginning of their career, what advice would you give them in terms of just being a faithful employee and a, and a faithful witness to Christ? So one of the, and maybe we can just spitball this back and forth, Bruce, but a couple of things that come to mind is um, don't put a ceiling on your career. Uh, I, I can't tell you how often I have seen people that I, I see a bigger and brighter future for them than they see. Um, and cause they put a ceiling on it, you know, like I'm, I, this is, you know, I'm going to be a salesperson. Well, you could be a sales manager. You could be a director of sales. You could, you know, you have, there's, there's often, uh, people. And I think especially, uh, the millennials and the gen X that they, they tend to put a ceiling, um, on their careers. Now there's some that are the opposite that think that they should be running the business. And that happens with any generation, right? And they haven't earned that right yet, but don't put a ceiling on, uh, your, your own personal capabilities, uh, and, and what God might do with you. Right. So that's an important piece. Um, and then the other is just stressing work ethic. Um, I, I really believe that putting, uh, in the time and, and doing your job and making sure you show up is, um, availability is, is the most important piece from an, uh, an employee perspective It's just someone that, you know, you can count on and trust and they just do it. Um, so that those are two pieces that come to mind immediately. Yeah. Well, that's great. So don't put a ceiling and show up and do the, do the work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, ethics are really important, right? So it's the, you know, <clears throat> the golden rule, right? Treat others as you expect to be treated. And, um, is when you're dealing cross companies and whether you're on the sales side, whether you're on the supply side, um, that, that is so important to really do that. And, um, you know, and to not have, and to not compromise, mm. uh, because you will be challenged to compromise whether by your own firm or by others. Um, and so I think that's, you know, to, and that really lends itself to our faith. It's like, am I going to be first a follower of Jesus or am I going to, play the corporate game and, and maybe stretch the, uh, the rules a little bit. So I think that's important. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is, I think it, it's been attributed to Peter Drucker, but is it, you know, culture, each strategy for lunch, right? It's trite, but it's so true in my, my regard and really pay attention to the cultures that you're going to go work in. So if you think, mm. wow, that's the greatest job in the world. Look, that job description meets everything, but you learn that the corporate culture is, going to be toxic or it's going to be dangerous. Well, just you taking that job is not going to change that corporate culture. So pay attention to that. And, and today we have so many resources to get to know about firms, to uh, to know people within firms and people that left them, maybe worked for them before and so on, you know, talk to them. So I think that's that's really important. So culture is, is important because that's going to help you live out your faith to have more balance uh, mm -hmm. between 
your work life, your, uh, your home life, your, your faith life. So I think that's important. Um, the other thing is that just relationships are so key in what we do and it's relationships within the company. It's relationships with our customers, with our suppliers and that, um, I look back and, you know, I still, from my days and when I worked for Intel, I'll, I have some suppliers that still reach out to me and we'll go to lunch every once in a while. And they, they just, wow. and they, <clears throat> they thank me for the way that, that I treated them and how I helped them to grow as a firm, uh, to do better business. And, um, you know, not patting myself on the back, but that it does feel good to know that I really care about those people. They were not just a transaction. Mm. Uh, they represented wow. uh, a whole person. They have a family. They, um, you know, you know, have motivations why they're working as hard as they are and so on. So, yeah, you, you said something that, that, so there's, there's voices and authors who talk about work and they, they kind of break down a person's kind of hard skills and then their soft skills. So hard skills are your competency. Can you do the actual job that you've been given, fulfill the role and responsibilities of that, that role? And then there's the soft skills, being able to work as a team and communicate and have empathy. What advice would you give in terms of kind of navigating both? Because both are very important because if, if you can do a, a, the, the work, but you're horrible to work with. <laughs> That's difficult. But if you're really fun to get along with, but you don't get the work done. So where, where would you kind of have most people who are kind of in the beginning of their careers? Dust, you talked about always continuing to kind of work or, or, you know, grow in your craft, the exact words, but you know, like where, where would you have most people lean in, um, in terms of the hard skills versus the soft skills? Well, I think a soft skill that we all constantly need to be working on, but especially, um, I think the upcoming generations is, is communication, written communication, verbal communication, physical communication cues, right? Um, it is the most important thing in business is being able to communicate, you know, cause you may really fundamentally understand something and know how to solve the problem. But if you can't communicate that, or you can't communicate your struggles to your boss, um, you know, where you need help, if you, if you can't communicate, um, you're going to be put at a disadvantage. And so those that can communicate, um, we see clearly rising throughout our organization. Um, so I think communication is the one soft skill that is just incredibly, incredibly important. Yeah. I would almost say that com communication kind of spans soft and hard because the, there's the being able to give a presentation or to be able to write an email or to write a proposal or write a brief, um, but then the soft skills of being able to listen and have empathy and, and be able to ask great questions. So yeah. What, what Bruce, what would you say? Hard skills, soft skills, kind of what? Yeah. And I, you know, absolutely dusty. I, I that resonates with me and, and my daughter is uh, in a technical field and she's an industrial engineer and, but she really has kind of become a digital storyteller. And in, in what that means is that she is able to pull together disparate groups of information and data and then tell a meaningful story that then people can take very specific action towards. And that's something that um, it really is so important. So that communication is important. I think for me, and, and just to give advice to, to someone in the younger is to don't be too impatient. I mean, yes, they're, you know, don't, don't set a ceiling, but grow deep, right? So gain competence in what you do. Mm. And don't always feel like, well, I want to be a leader in a company, um, but that only means I'm going to become a manager. You know, 
you can lead in every single job that you have. There are always informal ways to lead. While you're gaining competence and really going deep, you can lead teams, you can lead projects, you can lead initiatives um, oh, wow, and yeah. demonstrate and, and practice those leadership skills when, quite honestly, the uh, risk is lower, um, that if you fail, you know, it's okay. Learn from that failure versus much later on if you didn't really learn those leadership skills, but you've been promoted and you make a significant error that could be a lot more harmful yeah. to your career. Oh, gosh, that's great. That's great. All right. Some fun questions. Rapid fire. Get ready. <laughs> if you had a magic wand that would fix anything about your work, what would you fix? So if you had a magic wand, bling, you just swipe it over whatever this thing is at work and you could fix it, what would be the one thing? Open up travel again everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I miss being in person, Jeffrey. I miss being with people. Um, so that's mine. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that comes to mind right off the top is I'm, I'm working on a pretty major proposal for um, uh, starting up a new supply chain division um, within Mayo. And I would uh, make my presentation next week and get everything I want. So, Oh, all right. <laughs> Um, next question. If God blessed you with $10 million, uh, would you do some other type of work? And if, uh, if it is, what would you be doing? So if you didn't have to worry about a full-time paycheck, you could take care of all your responsibilities. Would you do the same work or would you do something different? And if you did something different, what would it be? Yeah, I probably still do the same work to be honest. Um, I think I would set an arrangement that uh, was a little bit more flexible with my time um, and make sure that that was understood. Um, and then certainly uh, spend a lot of time in Mexico um, where we already have uh, roots and ties to, to ministry down there. Yeah, that's a great question. Being probably a little older than Dusty, it probably would help to accelerate uh, retirement. Uh, but I don't believe in retirement, meaning I'm not going to go play golf and I'm not going to you know, play shuffleboard in Sun City or whatever people that retire do. I guess it's pickleball now. Um, That's right, pickleball. <laughs> pickleball. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it would really give me the opportunity to do more uh, teaching, to do more um, uh, consulting type on my own terms, right? So uh, that would be that would be fun because I'm not going to stop uh, working when I retire, whenever that is. Um, so I think that, but it would give you that freedom that you could do other things financially. Yeah. The consulting gig is the right one, right? Where you choose the hours that yeah, you're going to work yeah, and Hey, yeah. I'm not taking this project. Which means I'll probably never get a project, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Do you Sabbath? Well, do you Sabbath? Well, that's a great question. Um, C plus, <laughs> you know, not, that doesn't sound good. Well, you know, it's average. Um, so, that's a hard, high market issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Careful. <laughs> uh, now I, you know, I, I don't in that, I'm not intentional as I would like to be in that space. Getting better. I mean, I would say that a uh, good solid B plus, um, love Sundays, obviously, um, being here at, at uh, gateway is incredible. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, you know, we do focus it on, you know, family or, or being together and, um, so yes, I'd say we're doing pretty good with, about that these days. Oh, that's great. 
What, um, so Bruce, you talked about, uh, you don't believe in a retirement that you'd still would want to keep working and maybe this, you, you've already answered this question, but, uh, what is your dream retirement job? Yeah. You know, I, I still teach at ASU, which is, which is fun. I'd love to continue if they will have me teaching part-time, um, mm. that'll be up to them. Uh, so that's, that's part of my retirement job, but, uh, also, you know, what other areas of ministry would evolve, um, and you know, because I'm, I don't have a lot of, uh, woodworking hobbies or other things, really it's, it's, uh, work and career has defined a lot of what I'm interested in. So mm. how that might play out in ministry is, uh, is something in the future, I think. Right. You know, hate to be repetitive here, but I do think it would re- revolve around, you know, Mexico and, uh, Quinn's diaper and formula ministry, the home building ministry down there. I, I don't get to go on as many trips as I used to uh, just because, you know, work is, is so involved. Um, but I would love to spend a lot more time down there, Jeffrey, and, and really expand and, and work on our partnerships and friendships down there. Oh, that's great. All right. Last question. Uh, what is the number one quality a person can bring to any type of work? Back to communication. Can I repeat it again? But I do think that, you know, when I interview people, when I speak to people, um, it's not the only thing because you, you need people that may not have excellent communication skills, but you know that they can execute against a, a project or a deliverable. So that's not it. But um, I, I do think that skill for me is is being able to communicate, um, you know, with your peers, uh, with your leadership, et cetera. Yeah. For me, I think it's possibility thinking, right? Um, my favorite question is, what would it take? And, you know, sky's the limit. So we want to change this. We want to do this new thing. Sky's the limit, right? What would it take for us to do this? Mm. Gets people in a different space. Creative problem solvers. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you both for your time. Thank you both for your faithfulness to, uh, to the Lord and your work. Thank you for your faithfulness to Gateway. This has been a lot of fun. Hopefully this has been uh, educational to those out there listening. Um, but uh, we, uh, we love you. Thank you for listening. And in God's name, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank Amen. you. Thank you. Bye-bye.